So 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1217. And this is God's Word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has caused, He has given us, sorry, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proven and genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bible open at that book of 1 Peter this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we think of these opening few verses of 1 Peter 1, 1 through to 9. And our title this morning is simply this, that we are to be a people of hope, that we are born to be a people of hope. And don't mishear me as we think about this this morning. I'm not saying that we have to be in some way always happy, fake happiness, that's not what we're saying. I'm not saying that we are to uh, just run around with a smile on our face because of this. That's not what we're saying this morning. But what we are saying is that because we are Christian people, because of the love of Christ in us, clearly that hope fills our hearts and that we love God. So we are born to be a people of hope. We want to this morning see in this passage how Peter, as he writes to this church, sets out who they are, and he gives them their end vision, just as we thought about with the boys and girls. This morning, as we come away from our service, we want to see that Jesus Christ is our all in all, that our eyes are lifted heavenwards, that one day we will go home to be with him, and then whenever we go home to be with him, that that will be the best place that we could ever be. Our aim this morning is that our hearts will be filled with the love of Jesus. During the week, uh, Nigel and myself had a little chance to go up to Keswick, uh, and we met with uh, Brian Chapel. There was a ministry seminar that was on, and Brian said that as uh, a father, his role was to fill his daughter's heart with the love of Jesus Christ. And this morning as we come to church, that's what our aim is, that our hearts will be full of the love of Jesus Christ, because in that love, there's no better place to be. There's no safer place for us to be as Christians. So we are born to be people of hope, and we want to be filled with the love of God this morning. Now, as we approach this, a simple question is this. 
What has changed in your Christian life from this time last year? What has changed in your Christian walk since this time last year? If you were to look back over, your, over the last 12 months, would you see things that the Lord has taught you? Would you be able to chart difficult periods? Would you be able to chart periods of blessing? Or perhaps you'd look back across the past 12 months and you would say, well, I feel really far away from God. It feels like He's been very distant to me. It feels like I haven't got to know Him any better. And at that point, we want to use God's Word to challenge us and to bring us back that we read from that psalm, God's love endures forever. Despite our feelings, despite what has happened in the past 12 months, that He walks with us, that we are close to Him. And if I was to ask, what is our hope then for the 12 months that lies ahead? I wonder what we would say. What is our hope for the following 12 months? Perhaps the first thing that we would think about is something that we're going to do, somewhere that we're going to go, something that's going to change in our world. But what is it that our hope is in for the next 12 months? Are we placing it in hoping that we'll lose a little bit of weight? Perhaps it's in getting a new house, a job promotion. Where is our hope for the next 12 months? Just as we thought about it with the boys and girls and that simple little phrase, what is it that we're looking forward to? This morning as we look back and as we look forward, we trust that we will have our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ this morning. And see, we're prone to forget, we're prone to wonder, we're prone to walk away from our God. So let us see this hope. As we come to this passage, what is Peter or who is Peter writing to? He's writing here to the church in modern day Turkey. They're spread out across Turkey. It's the believers that are there. And they're Jew and they're Gentile. They've got differences that are going on amongst them. But he writes this letter in the midst of growing hostility. He writes this letter to them to endure. That they would endure and have hope in the gospel. And he lays it out really, really simply for them. He has a vision for them that they would know that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is their Lord and Savior, and that one day that Jesus will appear again, and he's going to take his people to be with him. So verse 1 to 2, who are our people? Who is the people that we are friends with? Who is it the people that we are called to be with? Who are the people that we belong to? What is our clan? What is our citizenship? Well, it's this, that we are elect exiles, or as the NIV translated it, elect strangers. This is who we are this morning, if you can see it up on the board. Elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God. This is who we are this morning. I don't know if you watch much of uh, Lord Sugar and uh, how he gets on in the boardroom, but many people try to duck and dive Lord Sugar whenever the pressure comes on them after they've failed a task. And he starts to point out and this puts the pressure on them and he starts pointing a finger at them and they start to duck and dive and blame everybody else. They don't take responsibility for who they are. And this morning as Christians, we must take responsibility for who we are. That's why Peter in this letter points it out right from the beginning. You are elect strangers. You are elect exiles in God's world. And you're scattered throughout all of uh, modern-day Turkey, these different regions, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is who you are, friends, elect exiles. So what does that mean for us? Well, to be elect means that we have been chosen by God for salvation. There is nothing that we could do of an, in and of ourselves to save ourselves. It was all of Him. He chose us before this world began. 
I trust this morning that we see the love of God in that, that once we were in darkness, and God by his grace calls us out of darkness into light by the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm sure many of us, as we think over our own testimonies, can see that in our lives, can't we? I know I've been going around and visiting some people, and it's powerful to hear how God works in their hearts. And once they didn't know him, they had no interest in him, maybe they came along here for years, and then something started to change in their heart. And God, by the power of his Spirit, saved people, opened their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, opened their eyes to see Jesus clearly. So this morning, if you are a Christian with us, brother and sister, you are elect of God. Know that in your heart so that whenever we feel far from him, that we can turn to this passage, we can open up the book of 1 Peter, and in that very first verse, we know who we are. We are elect. And then we're strangers or exiles, depending on which version you use. Strangers or exiles. And this is really, really helpful for us. Why? Because as strangers and exiles, just like we thought about with the young people, this place is not our home. God has just placed us here for a little while, but he's going to take us to be with himself. John chapter 14, that he'll take us to be with himself. One day I'll come again, that where I am, there you may be also. That we are going to go home to be with him or he'll come and he'll recreate the heavens and the earth. And that doesn't mean that we're going to sit on some metaphorical cloud and enjoy him. It means that we're going to enjoy this new earth, the perfect earth, the garden restored. That is our home, the perfect garden where God dwells with us and we dwell with him forever. So we see this morning, who are our people? What are we? Who are we? We are elect and we are exiled, so we do not get distracted by the things of this world. We don't throw all of our energy and our resources into building our own little kingdoms here, because in a moment, it can be taken away from us. We build for our future in heaven, so we serve him. In, verses, in these opening verses, we also see that we have been sanctified by the work of the Spirit, saved by God through Jesus Christ. Do we see it there in verse 2? The whole of the Trinity at work in salvation. It was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit, and through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been saved. This is no little act. Whenever God calls us, whenever God works in our hearts, whenever he changes us and he starts to change in us, over time and we start to feel things differently inside of ourselves and perhaps we start to understand what the minister is talking about at the front whenever he talks about Christian, Christianity and he starts to explain Scripture. We see the power of God in our lives. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We read about the, the very Father who formed the mountains and who formed the depths of the sea. He works in your life and in mine. He sent His only Son by the sprinkling of his blood, that we would be saved. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to help us as we walk through this world. We are saved by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit this morning. It's not just writing a little date on a card. It's not just something that's very vague for us. 
This is a work of the triune God in your life. This morning we want to see that. So we know who we are, but what are we born of or who are we born of? If we're born again, if we hear this phrase all the time, that we're born again or born, we're given new life, we're, we're a new creation, who is it that we're born of? Who is it that, that gives us this life? Well, we see it there in verse 3. Here, first, here Peter, in this uh, opening section, has a song of praise. It's a small doxology. And we could close the letter just after these opening few verses. Verse 3, praise be to God. We can imagine him singing this. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. These are verses that are full, full of the good news of the gospel. And this morning, we're not going to have time to expound this all, to think about it, but please do spend a little bit of time later on, maybe this afternoon, reading through this. This is beautiful. Praise be to God, our Father. Who are we born of? We're born of God. He is our Father. And then we look at it. It is His great mercy. He has given us new life. This is brilliant. This passage, why? Because it strips us of all of our pride. It's nothing to do about us. We didn't save ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. And this passage lifts our eyes to Jesus. It's all to do about him. Nothing to do about us. It rids us of our boastfulness, of our self-importance. And it flips the way the world sees it. You see, the world says that we're self-made, that we pull ourselves up, that we do whatever we want, when we want, how we want to do it. And here, God's word takes our eyes and it totally changes that. Praise be to God, not to ourselves. It is by his great mercy that he has given us this new birth into a living hope. Helps us to think about it in this way. Perhaps we're thinking about the, the surgeon, okay, the heart surgeon. And in the midst of his difficulties, perhaps he started to take pain in his chest. What does the heart surgeon do? If he's at home, he's not going to start to think to himself, well, I know exactly what's going on here. I know what's happening in my heart. I know that I've maybe only got a little bit of time here. I'm not going to start to open myself up. I'm not going to start to have surgery on myself. The first thing the heart surgeon's going to do is he's going to phone for an ambulance to come and to help him. He knows that he can't help himself. And in the same way as people, we cannot help ourselves. It's only by the grace of God to think that we have any way or any hand in our own salvation is very, very foolish. So this morning, this passage fills us with love for Jesus, fills us for love for God and for the Holy Spirit that he causes us to be born again, that we're saved by him this morning. So verses six to nine, what does this change? What does it change in our life? Well, I trust this morning that it changes absolutely everything in our life. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, Peter here is a realist. He knows that life is difficult. Just as we come to church this morning, we realize that the people sitting around us, 
the people that are sitting across from us or behind or before us, that they've got things going on in their life that we don't know about that is really difficult for them. Most people carry burdens. Most people just below the surface have got stuff going on in their life that isn't great. And we are really good at being actors and putting a brave face on it. But life is difficult. Life is tough. And Peter recognizes that. But he says that we still must, verse 6, rejoice. Now, how can Peter say that we rejoice? How can he say that we rejoice in the midst of the difficult life that we have to endure? Every single family has their difficulties. Every single family has their trials. How can Peter say to us to rejoice? He can say to us rejoice because of what went before us in verse 3, that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, brothers and sisters this morning, see Jesus. See the hope that he has given you, that you're born to be people of hope, that one day he's going to call us home, that we will be with him forever. And in the meantime, in the meantime, you're going to have to face difficulties. Why? Not because of our God, but because of sin, because of the fall. But what? His love endures forever. He is a good God. He loves us. So rejoice in it. Rejoice that now for a little while you're going to have to suffer. Know that your hope is in Him, verse 7, so that through all of this that we will be refined and that we will be proven. And then that verse that we know, verse 8, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. In the midst of our trials, whatever it is that we face, that we cling on to Jesus Christ this morning because there is no other place to cling. There's no other place to put our hope this morning. All them things will let us down. All them things will fade away, just like we thought about the ice lolly. We look forward to it, but how soon does it disappear? Jesus Christ this morning endures forever. Put our hope in him. We can't have it in anything else. So in the midst of our trials, in the midst of the season in life that we, we are struggling, in the midst of the, the, the persecution that we will face, in the midst of the great pain and sorrow for losing our loved ones, in the midst of temptation and in the attacks of the evil one, we must endure. And how are we going to do that? You say, John, that sounds great. How are we going to do that this morning? Will we do it by understanding this passage? Praise be to God because you have saved us. You have called me. I'm not at home here in this world. Father, help me. You've promised to keep me by your hand. You've promised that you'll lead me home to be with you. Father, help me in the midst of this. Father, I don't know what to do. Help me. Father, as we lose loved ones, as we see sickness take them, Father, help me. Father, give me hope that in verse 3 that we will see the beauty of the new birth, the living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We will know that in Jesus we have a King who lives forever. So our hope is in Him this morning, brothers and sisters. Whatever it is that you face, 
whatever it is that seems to be going against you this morning, can we have First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9 at the very front of our minds? I don't know if many of you are into putting things on fridges or sticking things up, but this is a great passage to have. Praise be to our God who has given us our hope. So how does it all end? Verse 4, what happens in the end? Well, we have this inheritance. Look at it, verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. In other versions, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is what awaits us. The biggest inheritance that's ever known was inherited by the seventh Duke of Westminster. Seventh Duke of Westminster was 25 or about 25 or 26, and he inherited nine billion pounds from his father. Nine billion. At the time whenever he inherited it, he was single. He's now no longer single. That is not a surprise, okay? He became the third wealthiest man in the United Kingdom, the 68th wealthiest man in the world. He inherited 190 acres of land in central London, thousands of acres in Scotland and Spain, the world's greatest inheritance ever known. And yet, whenever we balance that against this inheritance, inheritance given by God, the two don't even deserve to be mentioned alongside one another. And yet our hearts, if we're true to ourselves, our hearts want this one. Our hearts want the land and the money. Peter lifts our eyes this morning to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, guarded in heaven by our Father so that no one can steal it. There's no one going to take this from us. There's no one going to split this inheritance. There's no one who's going to maybe write us out of it. This is sure, and it is guaranteed to us that our inheritance is kept. Friends, we are born into this by the grace of God. And that is what is kept for us, imperishable. It'll never be able to be destroyed. It will never perish, no corrosion. It is undefiled. There's no pollution. It is clean. It is pure. It will not corrupt. And it is unfading. Really help me to think about it this way, that often whenever we look for something in our life, we get it, and then we move on. So if you're a child and it's a really hot day and your mom or dad promises you a nice lolly, you get it and you eat it and you forget about it straight away. Or you're really hungry, you eat that meal, but you forget about it. Or maybe you really want something else in your life, you get it, and soon after it starts to fade. Jesus Christ never fades. He never is corruptible. He will not perish. He is always pure. His love endures forever friend this morning, know the love of God. Let this fill our hearts that we lift our eyes to this inheritance and that that keeps us going tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday evening, Friday night, Saturday afternoon this week. This passage keeps our hearts full of the love of God. Be strengthened and be encouraged this is a passage for all year. It's a passage for your family and for your friends. It's a passage for those around us whom we know are going through difficult and trying times. And we can text it to them. We can write it to them. We can point them towards it. We can read it with them that this is the truth of the gospel. Praise be to our God. It's all to do about him.
And friend, this morning, if you're here and you don't know the Lord as Savior, if you're wondering to yourself, where is my hope? If it's in anything else, if it's in anyone else, it will fade. Come to Jesus this morning. Come and put your hope in him. If you feel him talking to you this morning, feel like this is pulling on your heart, that is God working in you by his Spirit. That is the Trinity at work, as we read at the very start of this passage. He's taking a dealing with you in his life. Put your hope in him. He will never fade. He will never perish. And he is pure and spotless. Let us pray. Father, we realize this morning that life is real and it is difficult and we don't have to be too old before we realize that trials will come our way and Father, we have to endure them. But we thank you that we don't have to endure them alone. Father, you have given us a hope. You have made us a people of hope. You have called us into this hope of Jesus Christ, which is sure and which is steadfast and will never fade. It will never be defiled. This is an eternal hope, an everlasting hope, a hope that will satisfy us forever. Father, this morning our hearts cry out, and we praise you for this, because, Father, in the midst of difficult days, we don't know where to turn. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you for your love. Father, help us by the power of your Spirit this week to know this passage, to praise you, to lift our eyes heavenward, to see that one day we will go home to be with you, that you guard this for us, no matter what is going on in our life, that you have elected us, that we are your exiles here in this place, and that your love is upon us. Father, we pray that we would love Jesus Christ, though we have not seen him. Father, we love him. We pray it in and through his name. Amen.